all of us here at Troy Church in Troy, Alabama, thank you for tuning in to our podcast. We are a family in Jesus that aims to love God, love one another, and love the world. If you would like more information on who we are, what we believe, or how to get involved, please visit us at troychurch.tv or email us at info, I-N-F-O, at troychurch.tv. Good morning, Troy Church. Good morning. Uh, we're the Gaucher family, um, and we get the honor to read scripture this morning. Um, for everybody who don't know us, um, Madeira Sr., Madeira Jr., Angel, and my wife Tiffany, this morning, scripture will be coming from Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 through 22. And it reads, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, and we will supper with him and he with me. To him, that, to him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Amen. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearers and doers of his word. Amen. Thank y'all so much, Gaucher family and Troy Church family. Glad to be with y'all. Somebody sent me something today. I think it was a tweet. I'm not sure how a lot of that works, but it said, uh, Mark of a healthy church, uh, singing men and noisy babies. (laughs) And I'm really thankful that we have both of those marks about us, and it's a joy. I'm glad to see all of y'all, especially. I know Thursday, while they were talking about the weather being bad, I was you know, sitting in, in Troy, just watching a couple of leaves flutter around and be like, this isn't, you know, no big deal, what are they talking about? And then quickly heard of some of our church family uh, toward Zion Chapel Way and some other ways a little further out that were really getting the business in, in a really scary way. And know they went through some a hard and scary day, and we're thankful you're here. And... Uh, thankful that things weren't worse, um, and, and ask you as a church to be prayerful about some rebuilding and, and things of that nature that are going on really close to us, and if that wasn't you, I know your life might feel like that. At this point in a new year, you've resolved to do all these things, maybe new things, and this is about the point where the wheels fall off of all of those ambitious plans to have your life a little bit more together uh, during the year, and it can feel a little crazy and chaotic, and you know, we hope this will be a space and time where a, a real felt and thought piece of God could be experienced by you, and we could really look up to a, a, a sure constant in the person of Jesus. We got to start last week talking about vision, and we resolved to spend a couple of weeks kind of talking about a, a verse that's just kind of a point of what we want to see, what we think God might be up to in our church this year, and 
see a lot of new folks, a lot of guests, and we're so glad you're here. And I know you might hear that and be like, oh gosh, like this ain't going to be relevant to me. I'm just checking you out. Like, I don't, I don't want to know about your vision or plan or strategy, but I think it might actually be better because it'll give you a sense, I think, about who we are as a church and what we're about. And maybe a quicker sense of like, I don't want to be a part of that at all. Maybe help you know that faster. Um, or maybe it'll give you something that God uses to, to call you in to, to be a part of us or walk with us for a time. So we're glad you're here. We just come to this time to listen to, to God together. So last week, the first of two weeks to talk about kind of our vision, our hopes for this upcoming year through the passage that you heard, uh, through this letter uh, to this church. Last week, we came up to halfway through verse 19. Uh, we addressed a verse that a lot of us, me included, had heard popularly taught uh, as far as the, you're not hot or cold, you're lukewarm because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And we talked about for a lot of us, our background with that verse has been a teaching of like, hey, you're either hot or cold, like you're either all the way in or you're clearly out, nothing to do with Christ, but don't be in the middle, don't be lukewarm or you'll be, God will spew you out of his mouth. We took some cues from some context and from some good sources and from some logic and kind of concluded, hey, it seems more likely that actually Jesus is talking to a church that's in a place where their water source is really far away, some of those sources being nice, cool, refreshing water, some hot, therapeutic, very useful water. And it's actually Jesus saying, hey, as a church, you're far from me. Like you're far from the source, and you're not having the uh, intended effect on yourselves or on people around you. You're not being a, a cool, refreshing drink of water because your association with me. You're not being a medicating, therapeutic, warm, soothing drink of water to a world that needs it. You're far from me. You're far from the source. You're lukewarm and you're nasty. I got a, I'm not going to name any names. I got a screenshot this week, like Monday or Tuesday after the sermon. It was a husband and wife. The screenshot was the wife texting the husband and saying, hey, babe, can you come uh, reheat my coffee because it's lukewarm? So uh, I'm really glad to hear y'all uh, applying uh, what we talk about here in, in meaningful ways. But the whole concept of what Jesus is writing to this church is saying you're far from the source and you're neither cool or refreshing or warm. You're not, you know, you're not being useful because you're far from me. You're deluded. You're not exuding my characteristics in your lives and your families into those around you. And we sat in for a minute the hard reality that we share a lot in common with this church, that a lot of times, a lot of compartments in our life, maybe it's work, marriage, family, kid things, it seems really distant from Jesus. A lot of times we'd be like, what does it even look like to do Jesus there? Because our concept of Jesus is bound up in compartments like this. You know, Jesus looks like church and group and this and that, and we're, we really don't have a, just a view of, of what he looks like to truly be in all corners and aspects of our life. It can feel awkward and weird and even invasive to us. So this church is in that boat with us, and we also talked about this place, this city, Laodicea. It's a real stable, resource-rich society. And while they're far from the source, while they're far from Jesus, they think they're fine. They think they're okay. They have a lot of money. It's a rich place. They have a lot of industry, um, all kind of things going on, goods and services available to them in a first century time where that's not a common thing for anywhere you live. 
And they even have a massive medical school and medical advancements and technologies to help them out when they're sick and when they need something. They're not often in a place to be dependent. And we talked about how easily we as a culture identify with that. You know, we run out of whatever and we go two miles in Troy to whatever Dollar General is closest to you and you get what you need. Our, our life is so convenient. We're, we're never desperately in need most of the time, and it's made this society very pridefully self-reliant. They're like, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm okay. And we ended where we'll overlap and kind of start today, um, and that's in verse 19. So you heard the Gauchets read that, and it's where Jesus says something that on the front hand sounds kind of harsh and hard, but carries a lot of love. He says, those who I love, I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. So Jesus acknowledges these words on the front end. He says the word discipline. You know, that doesn't sound fun. Nobody likes discipline. Doesn't sound fun. But he says, I do this because I love you. Like, I love you. I'm saying these harsh things about you that you think you're great. You think you're fine. You think you have everything that you need. And you really don't. You're far from me. You're removed from me. Your life is, is separated from me. And I can't leave you like that. I love you. We, we, we left with a story last week, kind of you at your job, just hypothetical, your boss came to you and said, hey, look, you're awful at your job. Like, you're really bad at it. You think you're doing great, but everything you're doing is really awful, and where you're bracing for this, so we're going to have to let you go, the boss says, but I love you, and I'm committed to you loving this job, and I'm going to do whatever it takes, training-wise, showing you, walking you through whatever we need to do, to help you walk in, in my intended view for your life. And we left looking at Jesus as, as that Jesus that comes with these harsh words and says, hey, you're really comfortable and you think you're fine, but you're really far from me, but I, I love you and I, I can't leave you like that. So I'm coming to call you into more and to offer more to your lives that you might experience me and walk with me as I truly intended you to do. You're not walking with me well. You think you're fine, but I, I love you so much I cannot leave you, leave you here. And we see a so. And when we see a so in the Bible, it's really important. It's, it's something contingent or coming off of the idea before. So it's Jesus saying, because I'm doing this in love, be excited about repenting. Be zealous and repent. In other words, Jesus is saying, be excited about acknowledging that you're not in a great place, but be excited about changing your mind and being changed by me and doing different. Be excited about it because I love you. Even though things are really rough and you're in a rough place, I'm coming at you in love. It's going to be invasive and disruptive to your life, but be excited about it because I'm about to form and change you with my love. Be zealous and repent. So we hold that and look at kind of as a church what we want to do in 2023 from this verse from 320. We want to let Jesus in. We talked last week a little bit about all these compartments of our lives and how Jesus just seems, again, far and irrelevant to some aspects to our day-to-day, -day, and we want to let him in. You know, literally, I think, starting with just calling our minds when we're walking in the office or walking in our house to just call to mind kind of a breath prayer of like, Jesus, you know, what are you up to? Like, Why do you matter in this context? What would you show me or lead me to do or say differently because of you, because of the reality of you. And that's what we're calling a church into this year. And what I want to do in the second half of this verse as we kind of close this out, I'm giving you three reasons to embrace that. Three realities, 
true things that come out of what Jesus says to this church that I hope would make letting Jesus into your life sound exciting and worthwhile because otherwise it sounds really scary and disruptive. It evokes some fear in us. So three, three, three reasons to let him in and literal, I think specifically as a church, huge win if you walk away just resolving to like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, as I walk in the compartments of my life, work, school, whatever, I'm just going to think, like, literally just, what does Jesus have to do with this? Like, that's what I'm after us to do as a church, just as a starting place. I think it will mean a lot more as we walk forward, but that's our starting place. First thing, first reason to, to let that be a thing in your life is that he is close. He is close. That's the first reason. So out of verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door. I'm at the door. I'm standing at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will come into him and eat with him. And we've already corrected kind of one misunderstood potentially part of this passage about the hot or cold. And you know, this verse commonly, especially if you're out of like a revival evangelical culture. Yeah, this is a, a huge, like, altar call verse. Like, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking and, and let him in. And it kind of paints the picture of this, you know, you being in a house and it being your house. Like, it's your house and Jesus is outside the door, kind of hat in hand, shivering in the cold. You know, really hoping that you're going to let him in to your life, desperate that you might crack the door and just give him permission to come. You know, please let me in. You know, our sovereign king, Lord, is never that guy in scripture he is a, a sovereign ruler king he's never that guy john 10 he's, he's the good shepherd he's the boss his sheep hear his voice to life he's sovereign through his voice over life you know, we can't even open the door in in and of ourselves apart from him unconscious in our sin remember jesus is addressing believers in this passage he's writing to people that supposedly already know him or already walking with him, that are already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So what in the world does this mean? As we look through the rest of Scripture of similar passages, wherever we see Jesus at the door, we see that imagery a lot in the end of the Gospels, and we see it in the end of James, James 5, 7 through 9. He's at the door as a judge that's coming back to his house. Is Jesus standing at the door of a house that he has left his people to see about? and live in, and dwell in, and work in, and conduct his business, and this is Jesus as a, a sovereign good judge coming to see about what they've done while he's been gone. This house is Jesus's house, and we look at that context as far as what Jesus is saying in this church. It's him coming saying like, hey, I'm coming back to check up on you. You've been living it up inside my house, excluding me from the day-to-day -day business of, of what belongs to me. And what is mine. This church hears and believes at some point, but towards what we talked about last week, they're lulled out of dependence. They're lulled out of their humility by all their stuff, by all their resources. They think they're fine. They don't need anything. It's made them far from Jesus, so he's not involved in their day-to-day -day life and their activities. He's far in their eyes. And Jesus to that says, hey, I'm, I'm here. Like, I'm right here. In view of that, in face of that, I've, I've come to you. Let me into what I've bought what I bought through my life in death. We remember before Jesus ascended after he rose from the dead, he says, I'm, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending my spirit to live in you, and I'm going to be with you. 
this church, like us, we live like he is far away, like he is not with us. Before he ascends and gives the great commission, he says, behold, I'm with you always. I'm here now. I'm with you. I think in our compartments, yeah, we make out our spirituality, our relationship with Jesus, it's kind of like a life insurance policy to us. You know, we pay the premium through some spiritual acts of service like you're doing. Now I'm your agent, and I upsell you into more services. And it'll be great when we need it, but until then, it's irrelevant on auto draft and, and not a thing. And that's, that's not what Jesus is calling this church into. He says, yes, of course, there's a future element where you'll live and reign with me forever. It's at the end, and it's amazing. But he says, I'm here to work change in a relationship with you now. I'll be with you always. I'll be with you until the end of the age. I'm here now. May it never cease to shock us what we talked about last week. You're wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, naked. While you're all those things, you think you're not and you think you're great. That Jesus is like, hey, I'm already at the door. Like when we want to address that and change that. I'm here. I'm at the door. He's come. He's gospeled. He's lived perfectly for you. He's died for all your words, thoughts, and actions that are not of God, that make us deserve God's wrath. And he lives in us as, as a believer. He's, he's here. So when we look at what it is, the tall order of letting Jesus into day-to-day mundane life, and it seems really hard, he's close. Like, he's already here. He's so close. So that's the first thing. He's close. Reason why we should buy into this as a church. Second thing, this is a mouthful, I'm sorry. Your part is hard, but not as hard as you think. So your part is hard, but not as hard as you think. Our culture is really sad and funny. If I just showed up at your house, like after church, and said, hey, I was just going to come over and like eat lunch with y'all, you would totally freak out, and you'd explain to me for 30 minutes like why your house is messy. You'd be like, oh, it's a holiday weekend, and we had this, this, and this, and we had this. It's usually not like this, but it just happens to be like this today. If I did announce that I was coming to your house for lunch, you'd spend three days like breaking your back to get it completely clean and perfect, and then we'd come over and you'd be like, we'd, we'd admire how clean and orderly it is. And then you'd be like, oh, this old thing? Like, oh, this is nothing. It's really actually pretty dirty. <laughs> Under a traditional interpretation where Jesus is this homeless man outside the door to our house, it's this feeling of he's knocking, and we're like, oh, dang, i got to sweep up real fast before I let Jesus in. And before I let Jesus into my family, before I associate with him or with his people, I, I got to straighten up my life real quick before I let him in. And that's a reverse gospel. Like, get your life together before you let Jesus into it is a reverse gospel. That's like, hey, let me fix my car real fast so I can take it to the mechanic. That, that's the equivalency there. But if he is the master, if he's Lord, if, if this is his house... Appealing to John 10, we hear his voice, and if we are his sheep, we will hear it. Revelation 3.20, if anyone will open the door. It's us hearing Jesus opening the door and being like, gosh, thank God, literally. I really thought I could run this thing by myself without you and just kind of do my own thing, but it's a war zone in here. I'm so glad you're back. Come in and lead your house. And he says, awesome, but first, I brought supper. Like, let's sit down and talk about this first. 
That's the imagery in this verse, and it's so beautiful in, in view of the harsh reality of being wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. And Jesus saying, you're all these things while you think you're great, but I'm already here. And if you let me back into what I've bought and what is mine, I'll come in and we'll start by, let's eat together, like be together first. And it's beautiful. So if, in you, if you're in here thinking like, I don't know enough or don't have enough spiritual work to let Jesus affect all corners of my life, I haven't done enough you know, spiritual things or learned enough theological things to start thinking about him more, talking about him more, associating him with more aspects of my life, you have it backwards. You have it backwards. You, you have to have him to grow in any of those things. He hasn't come to call the righteous. He said that. He said, I've come to call sinners. He hadn't come to heal the well. He said, I've come for the sick. And he's come for us to transform us greatly, but he wants to start with eating with us and being with us. Disclaimer, he does call sinners. He does enable righteousness. He, he calls sinners, but he does so to enable righteousness. I think it's important for us to hear. Yeah, he comes into this house that's his. He opens up the pantry and he's like, Man, this thing's just full of little Debbies. Like, this is bad. Like, this has got to go. So don't hear that Jesus comes in and lets you just leave all the junk in the trunk. That, that's an incomplete gospel. A reverse gospel is, i got to get all my stuff together before I let Jesus in. An incomplete gospel is like, oh, I just get to let Jesus in and keep doing whatever. Both are in the ditch. Up on the road is, hey, we're in a really gross spot, and Jesus comes in loving, merciful grace to relate with us. And he comes in, and when he does, he changes everything. But not from a rules, teeth-gritting, forced way, from, a, from the inside-out, heart change, mind change, feeling change way. He comes into wherever you are, and he enables and empowers different. There's some passive aspects to that, I think, where it just happens naturally. But don't get me wrong, there's some active aspects to that where he enables and empowers you to do things with your hands and your mind and your mouth to do different things. We don't have to get it together to let him in, but we do have to let him in to get things in order and get things together. Your part is hard, but not as hard as you think. I say that to say I think people in our church that are Christians still have this residue thought process of like I have to get my stuff in order before I engage in a relationship with Jesus like I have to get my life together before I step toward community in the church further I have to get my life together before fill in the blank with any aspect drawing closer to Jesus you have it backwards you have it backwards your part's hard but not as hard as you think last thing the gain is beautiful the gain is beautiful. First thing is he's close. Second, your part's hard, but not as hard as you think. Three, the gain is beautiful. I want to reread the end of 20. Um, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'll come to where you are. I'll eat with you, and you'll eat with me. 
I just want you to notice the primary picture in these letters to these churches that don't mince words. Like they're, they're harsh. Like they're pointed. They're short and sweet. But still, in that, the primary picture is not like, hey, let me in and, and we'll get to work. Like Jesus barging in the door and being like, ah, this has got to go, this has got to go, change this, do this, fix this. It's not, hey, we'll come in, sit at the table, and like, let's work out a plan, and let's work out a budget. It's not even, hey, I'll come in and lay you up on the table and start the operation. It's, hey, let's eat together first. And an emphasis on, I'm going to eat with you, and you're going to eat with me. I think some of us picture Jesus as like, we get to eat with him, but he's super busy and checked out and trying to attend all the other, like, ruling the cosmos while we're eating with him, but... He's eating with us, and we're eating with him. It's this picture of like mutual presence in a, a meal, sharing meal together. You think about meeting people, dates, you know, it's always around food. Like We rarely are like, hey, let's meet up at some place and talk. Like We're at least getting some kind of coffee, food, whatever to meet around. Like Why, why do we do that? If you think about it at a root level, we gather around these things that give us life. And there are things we have to have. In our society, we could probably stand to go a lot longer than we go in between those things. But eventually, if we didn't have those things, we would die. And when we gather around them together, we're humans together. We're dependent on provision together. The God-man invites us to that space with him. The one that has no need invites us to that space with him. Next week, we'll go back to Genesis, so I was kind of reflecting on all that, like the past year being in a, a wild place in the Bible, and I thought all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, in, in both creation narratives, like the number one first thing that God does is make food for Adam and Eve. So even inside his perfect universe and perfect relationship, like number one is establishing this meal, like I'm going to provide for you, you're going to take in life from my hand and you know, we're going to eat together in perfect union and relationship, and that's in view here, like restoring of what was lost, God's perfect provision, meal sharing with his creation. I'm going to read 21 one more time because this is crazy. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. I immediately thought of a verse that I think is one of the most wild verses in the Bible, it's John 15, 9, same author. John says that Jesus said at the Last Supper in John 15, 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So Jesus, God, is saying, As the Father has loved me, second member of the Trinity, in perfect love and unity, I love you like that. And the relationship aspect of that should just completely short-circuit our brains and our hearts. And in here, he takes it a step further. It's not only a relationship, like I'm going to love you as God has loved me, but you're also going to get to participate in my power and work. He's saying to the one who conquers, who, who walks with me, he's going to sit down on my throne and rule with me like I sat down with my father and ruled. I have no clue what that means or looks like. But as a fellow being with you that craves purpose and meaning it sounds amazingly cool to rule and reign with jesus forever and against all the cheap forms of purpose and power we chase with our fragile resource this eternal real true promise of ruling with jesus is 
mind-blowing. And I invite you to marvel with it. He's naming your future. It would be the equivalent to somebody in a temporal thing saying like, you know, telling you the future like, hey, you're going to do just, you're just going to crush your job, retire early, have all these resources and all these grandkids, and it's just going to be completely awesome, and that's what's going to happen. It would free you up in the interim to just live and be, and Jesus is saying, you're going to rule and reign with me forever. So feel free to be and live with me now in view of what I've promised you. And there's not only the future aspect of that, but there's the now that we receive in the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, so now you go under that authority. and You get to be a part of my work, me restoring the universe. You get to use your mouth and your hands and your lives to be a part of what I do in my kingdom. You get to be a part of that, so go. All that being said, God wants in to all the things. He wants to come back in his house and eat with you, and, and y'all go out of that place and union in, in a way that points to him in all aspects of life to speak with you and be with you and shock you in the way that he shows up and gives you growth through all circumstances. So again, back to where we started. What would it look like for us as a church just to walk out of here and this oversimplifies it for sure and it's just a starting point. But just in all compartments of our life to simply call our minds to the person of Jesus and literally ask him, what does this have to do with you? What are you up to in this space that I've never associated with you before? What if we did that? What if we let him in? You think about all the other things we think about and how it affects everything you do. It might be money, and it affects all your decisions. It affects your job choices. It affects your, affects your spending and generosity. What does it look like if, if Jesus is our mindset? If we draw our minds to him all the time, it will affect all the things we do in view of him and all these things we're trying to do as a church this year it can't manipulate that can simply put you in a position to have your mind drawn to the person and work of jesus more time with him time with his people time in here worshiping to soak your mind in the reality of jesus that he would come to your mind as you leave this place and go do all the things you can do all the things that you do let him in let him in relate with him over all the ups and downs of life. We get to walk towards that in a really special, cool way here in a second. We get to celebrate communion. We get to celebrate Lord's Supper. I want to give you some logistics on that and then kind of some spiritual leadership in that. If, if you receive the elements, I got one up here. One of these, there's more out in the foyer. If you, if you didn't, do not open them right now because we're not doing it now. We're going to do it during the third song, so not quite yet. Logistically, what this looks like for us as a church is we invite all believers, all who depend on Jesus, who have to have Jesus to be right with God. If that's you, whether you're a part of our church or not, this might be the first time you've ever been here, you might live on the moon and be a visitor. If you depend on Jesus, we invite you to do this with us here in a little bit. If you're not sure where you're at, if you'd say, hey, I'm skeptical, I'm not a believer, I'm, I'm really not sure, I'm not sure what I think about God, we invite you to watch. We invite you to watch, we invite you to be curious about what we're doing and what it means, and we invite you to ask us about it, especially if God would engage your mind, your heart, and any of these things we've talked about as far as us depending on the person and work of Jesus to be right with God.
So we invite you to this space, and we invite you to do a lot of things, kind of consolidate it down to at least three things for you as we do this. It's a, a time of introspection where we look into our lives, good, bad, and ugly, thoughts, words, and actions. God, examine me. We look back to the cross and look at what Jesus has done through his perfect life and his sufficient death in view of all the wreck that we look at when we look into our lives. We see it paid for and seen about. We remember that as we do this. And we look forward to the fact that he really is coming back and we get to live with him in a real place and rule and reign forever in perfect relationship with him. We get to draw our mind to those things and we're going to go over all that again as we come up and do this. I want to ask you to this prayer as a church as we do this and leave you to sit in this as we sing and prepare to go towards this place. As we take these symbols into our body, may you come into my life. May we let him in. As we take these symbols into our body, may you come into my life. We prayed that as a church today celebrating in a way where these are symbolic, but Jesus is truly here with us in a very special way. I'm going to pray. Thanks again for tuning in. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook, at our website, or even in person right here in Troy. All information and links are in our description. Thank you and God bless.